Okay, welcome to the Medical Liability Minute. I'm your host, uh, Jeff Siegel. I'm founder and CEO of Medical Justice, and we do speak for more than a minute. Today, we're joined by my friend, Jeff Taxman. Jeff Taxman is the principal at Physicians Financial Services, which specializes in the unique financial needs of doctors and their families, as well as other productive individuals. Uh, Financial Physician Services is a national practice with administrative offices right in the heart of America, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Mr. Taxman is the principal of the firm and he has educational experiences and professional accomplishments that uniquely qualify him to help guide doctors through unique financial services and structures to maximize the efficiency of conversion of their earnings into spendable savings. And we will spend some time chatting about that uh, today. Uh, Their philosophy is based on findings from the Doctors' Economic Research Project, a specialized area of inquiry that evolved from privately funded research project initiated many decades ago in 1971 to study the economics of productive individual lives. And I do want to chat a little bit about that, too. For over 30 years, the firm has helped uh, successful physicians, dentists, and other productive individuals across the country to maximize the efficiency, control, and safety of the conversion of their earnings into spendable savings. Welcome, Jeffrey. Glad you can join us today. Thank you. When people think of life insurance, it's a um, a plan that will write a check if and when somebody dies to a named individual. That's kind of the traditional way we think of life insurance. But um, there's it's a contract. But there are also uh, ways that it accumulates a um, dollars not only to pay for the death benefit but maybe to do other things and help us understand how that may work um, because it sounds like one of the interesting benefits of life insurance in general is that it, it it's a tax favored entity it doesn't have all of the headaches associated with other types of investments which which are taxable so yeah if you could chat about that that'd be very helpful Sure. The insurance industry, uh, not just the life insurance side, but also uh, the property casualty side, uh, has its own special tax treatment. And that comes from Congress, which you know controls taxes, uh, trying to encourage taxpayers to take actions which are good for the taxpayer and hopefully takes the burden off of uh, government itself. So uh, that's so life insurance death benefits are not taxed. That's section 101A, widows and orphans. So you s- start from there. Um, so just to be clear, um, if you have a life insurance policy and the um, the life that is being insured passes, a mm-hmm. check gets written to the widow or orphan. Um, that check goes to them without a chunk of it going to the federal or state government, correct? Uh, That's exactly right. Now, there are things you can do to mess that up, but that's... Oh, humans being what we are, who we are, yes. There are always ways to screw it up, I'm sure. Suddenly makes it taxable. But uh, yes, you're exactly right. Uh, It's widow, orphan, or your designated beneficiary. If, uh, Mm -hmm. If you're insuring the practice, you're insuring, you know, who knows what, um, the death benefits there. So then the insurance company, the insurance contract is also allowed to accumulate cash inside 
to support the death benefit. So that's why you wind up with cash inside. So now in our model, uh, and it's not, it's, it's used pretty widely, is uh, that buildup of cash inside is not taxed while it's growing. Um, and if we're taking uh, a series of loans in retirement, loans are not a taxable thing. You know, you take a loan for your car, you don't pay tax on the loan proceeds. Uh, well, the same with the life insurance policy. Uh, if we're taking loans later to support our lifestyle, that's non-tax distribution. And then at the very end, when you get dead, uh, the tax-free death benefit pays off that loan and any change goes to your beneficiaries. But the extra leverage in our model is uh, that we have uh, special financing institutions which will loan you additional money to put in the policy as premium. So you have money that's not taxed, comes from the bank, goes into your contract, it grows untaxed inside the contract. Uh, down the road, 15 years, wherever, we take the money back out of the policy to pay the bank, and all that extra money uh, was growing over all those years, and all that extra growth, which came from a non-taxed you know, bank loan, um, becomes tax-free income to uh, to the client. So, the, so uh, if you compare that to putting the same amount of money every month, say into even a 401k, uh, this actually produces more net spendable dollars than the 401k. The exception, you know, if you own your own practice, you're putting your own money in the 401k. If you're working for the hospital and you've got a uh, employers making contributions, definitely take advantage of all the free money you can get. So the first step is take advantage of the free money, correct? I mean, that's the that's, that's the guiding mantra. So um, this may be a bit challenging to do just on a audio only podcast, just in terms of looking at the leveraged um, insurance policy that you talked about. But mm -hmm. it, you're, it sounds like money goes into purchase a um, an, an insurance plan, um, but more money goes in by virtue of getting some external funds from a bank loan, correct? Yeah. So uh, we have a standard model and then we have a, a grown-up model, which is more aggressive. But the standard model, which is wonderful for our doctors, is this. Um, doctor's going to put in money for five years, let's right. say 50000 Then he's all done. No more cash outlay. So during that first five years, the bank is going to put in the same amount. So if the doctor put fifty, the right. bank put in 50. Uh, the next five years, so that's year five to ten, the bank's going to put in both of them. The bank's going to put in a hundred thousand a year for five, you know, year five through ten. Yes. Uh, then uh, the contract itself is just going to simmer and grow, and uh, we'll spend the money down the road later. Who's paying the bank loan while this is accumulating over yeah, time? Their model. Uh, the bank is accruing the interest. So uh, we're accruing the interest and, and just letting that grow. The policy is growing faster. Uh, so there's, so there's, there's no, no payment required on the note for, I'm just a little, sorry, a little confused. Exactly right. Exactly right. No payment required on the note uh, until uh, we pay it back in year 15. Now also in our model, uh, because a lot of the objection to premium financing is, you know, gee, if it goes the wrong way, you're gonna uh, you're gonna owe a lot of money 
you know, that you didn't think you were going to owe. Uh, this model that we're doing is a non-recourse loan. So you know, after you're five and done, you're still uh, never going to be in a position where you actually owe more money. Uh, and then the next piece of it is we do the whole thing inside a, we set up a Nevada trust. So not only do we have all that growing and operating on its own, uh, but the money is not available to judgment creditors. So if your 16 year old uh, runs over somebody with the car and the law firm says, child of a doctor and they get a $10 million judgment or whatever horrible thing may happen, that money is not uh, available to the satisfy that judgment. It's an interesting, it sounds like you've got several moving pieces uh, in the model um, and it sounds like the way you've set it up is they all, they're all necessary requirements there. Um, which I, I mean, it's as, all, as, it's all in a package that's administered in one place. So it's a, it's a nice package. And then the final piece is for premium financing, which is what this is right. generally, you know, this is the world of the ultra wealthy. So banks uh, usually want you to have a $10 million net worth in order to do this uh, as well as a substantial income. So our model, and this goes back to your discussion with me about the hospital employee doctor and the doctor that works for an HMO. In our model, as long as they have a W-2 of 100000 or more, we can guarantee that they can get the financing and do the deal. And in terms of mitigating the risk, if I were a doctor knowing nothing about this going in, mm -hmm. the obvious question would be, how can I make sure that the projections we're talking about will be close to being accurate, meaning that imagine a um, black swan event where something that just doesn't happen, how, how do I avoid getting wiped out? Because it sounds like a, a fair amount would go into this um, and there'd be an expectation that at least X minimum would come out of it. But with, with leverage, leverage always creates a challenge in two directions. Uh, you're exactly right. So there's uh, two pieces to that answer. Number one, uh, inside these specially designed insurance policies, uh, the cash value is invested in um, uh, index uh, index interest crediting strategies. These these index interest segments uh, are not actually invested in the market. They're invested in uh, basically option strategies. So in a year where the market is negative, the worst performance of the investment is zero. Right. So Ever, if so you have a if you have a year, I don't know if this year ends up down 20 or whatever, uh, the worst that's going to happen that year is zero. Uh, then we start the next segment or the next year. Uh, we do not have to make up last year's losses so that the market starts going up again. Uh, we get the gains. So uh, a 50 percent market drop or something or a, an exogenous event like a terrorism attack does not wipe out your wipe out your your policy number two uh so let me just say um I, I think i get that so you're eliminating uh, you're mitigating the downside so in any given year instead of having to participate against your will in a 50 percent loss in that particular year it would be zero you just wouldn't gain anything the that's right. flip side is is that to make this work um you probably do give up some of the upside on that, but that's okay because you're still participating in the market 
uh, broadly. It's just that something has got to pay for the option to allow you to avoid the catastrophic loss. Is that is that close to being accurate? <laughs> I'm sorry, you're talking to a doctor here, so um, all I can do is get. I'm occasionally right, but never in doubt. I've obviously have been around because you are you are much more savvy than most on these things. Um, so, and I'll go into this uh, technically, and later uh, you guys can edit out if it's if it's too. Far. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. But uh, the way the indexing works, uh, this is a, a description generally of how it, it looks. Let's say uh, you put a, uh, you give an entity, uh, you're not giving it to me because I'm not a custodian, but you give it to an entity, $100,000. Yep. So, uh, so the entity uh, puts, $98,000 into a CD at the bank paying two. So at the end of the year, you're going to have a hundred again. Okay. So, you know, you're, you've got your hundred. So that other couple thousand dollars buys options and you're buying an option on the S and P 500. Yes. All right. So the S and P 500 uh, goes down. You don't exercise the option. You know, the 2000 is gone, but you still have the hundred you started with. Yes. On the other hand, the market goes up. So you exercise the option and you get your S&P 500, I don't know, for $100. The market's 106, so you sell the shares and you pick up your 3, 4, 5% gain or more, depends on you know, the options in the market. Uh, and that's the mechanism, except that the insurance company is using its bond portfolio for the options budget. Um, a lot of um, indexes that we can choose from, not just the S&P 500. So you can get pretty well diversified. So that's what's going on inside when you're talking about protecting against the, the loss. It's just we're not exercising the option um, and that's it. There's not a more complicated transaction than that. I mean, it, yeah, go company. ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. Um, uh, hey, guys. Um, what if somebody is asleep at the switch at the insurance company didn't buy the options or whatever that needed to happen and it blows up just because you didn't execute. Um, anyway, so the big investment banks are the ones that actually do the transactions. And so they are guaranteeing to the insurance company, you know, if you're due, you know, 6% gain on the option, even though we may have messed it up inside our trading floor, uh, we still, are on the hook for what's owed to the insurance company. So we've got a lot of entities with capital who are guaranteeing that these things happen, which is much different than buying your S&P 500 index yourself at Schwab and, and going with the ups and downs. I do have a question about barring against either a policy or a portfolio or whatever. Um, over the past 10 plus years, probably even longer, it's been very attractive to take out these types of loans without having to sell the underlying uh, security and pay taxes or everything else on that because the interest rates have been so stinking low. So, I mean, that's been a real perk uh, of the system. You know, I think you probably do. I mean, interest probably has to be paid in some capacity, uh, but if the interest rate is tiny, then it's not a real headache. But as interest rates potentially gear up, does this, 
create potential challenges in terms of borrowing um, the money to to fund the lifestyle, or is it is it baked into the model for the most part that it really won't matter? We're going to talk about our model specifically. Yes, uh, it has some extra guarantees in it, which are not in the general world, you know, necessarily there. Uh, first of all, since the model is very consistent, it's uh, it's stress tested. So we actually have a website that the client can go to and look at whatever model they want to run, stress tested for the economic environment of the Great Depression, uh, stress tested for the financial crisis. So we can actually see that in both those cases, you actually not only not lose anything, but you still wind up with gains. Uh, part of the magic of it is that it's a long-term uh, investment. Um, your other question about stress tests and interest rates. Oh. Yeah, because if you're borrowing, um, if, if, if yeah, you're borrowing off of this. On a compounding basis. You're paying interest on a simple interest basis. So, you know, you get out there to year 10 and you're earning interest on 5 million bucks and you're still paying flat interest on the original million you borrowed. You know, even if uh, borrowing rates go up, um, there, it's not, you're still ahead of the game just, you know, by math. I'm talking about if you pull it out at the end, because that was one of the, um, you're pulling money out, not, not talking about money going in to finance it, but money coming out to fund the lifestyle once you've oh. accumulated. Yeah. Well, once you have whatever value is in there, um, and if you're taking it out as a string of payments over say 25 years, um, the money that you're taking out year 10, 15, 20, 25, right. you know, it's been growing for another 10 years. So, um, you know, it, it has great staying power. So the math works. Yeah. But it's not me telling you that we actually have the, the actual stress test on the website. I'm going to spend some time on there. I'm, I'm going to look, give, while we're at it, give everyone the, the uh, the address for your website uh, or for the website where the, this can be found. We'll put it in our show notes regardless. Okay. Uh, the website is uh, uh, www.pfsfa.com. And on the website there, then there are places to click to, you know, either, you know, Calendly schedule a, a visit, which we're happy to talk to you free. Um, or, uh, email for more information. As far as this particular program that we're talking about, uh, once we are talking to a, a live person, we can send an invitation and the, they can click on the invitation and get in and they can see on that particular product everything they want to see. And as far as the website, they can go there and just, we have a webinar there, we have white papers on a lot of the solutions that we do. Um, but what we recommend I mean, what interests everybody initially is, gee, you have disability insurance that refunds 80% of my premiums, uh, you have the LT flip, you have captive insurance companies, but in the end, the key is really doing integrated planning so that you put those tools in the right place. So we, we run the healthcare problem solving model. Uh, so we're gonna take a history, do some lab tests, do a differential diagnosis, um, make a plan of treatment that we're going to apply in a disciplined manner to get a predictable result. So we want to go that way as opposed to 
what's the next product? I mean, the planning is something that makes eminent sense. And the sooner you start on the plan, the better it is. I think for most people, they understand that if they start investing, if they start saving and investing early in life, um, they'll be able that even with modest uh, returns, they will see um, a pretty sizable next nest egg developing over time. So the key is starting early. The same with purchasing um, all types of protections, including disability insurance, life insurance. The sooner you buy it, you know, earlier in life that you buy it, when you're healthy, the more likely it's going to be cheap or less expensive to manage. So the, the hardest part is just identifying, getting people to understand early on um, that a plan, not everything needs to be done today, but if you can start defining what a roadmap looks like and start executing on some parts of those plans, checking some of those boxes and moving on to those next boxes, over time, many, if not most, or all of those goals uh, will be met. You're exactly right. So again, in our model, um, it's a, it's it's an overflowing buckets. I think you've you've seen it. Uh, so we know the allocation of funds as you are earning more where they go. Uh, and so you're exactly right. And the earlier you start to better, but I'll, the better, the better. I'll also tell you two things happen. One, many, many, many doctors come to us in their mid 50s, uh, which is a good time for us as a planner because they've already have the scars from all the mistakes. So uh, by then they're ready to really get serious. Well, plus they may be beyond some of the hiccups in life. You know, some of them, their kids may be out of school at that point, for example. So um, while they have new new vistas in front of them, they also have some something in the rearview mirror too. But on the other hand, young doctors, uh, they get the message. They've listened to me. They've listened to our advisory board. They've listened to Dr. Siegel. And uh, and then I get a call and they're investing in, you know, a, rest, you know, a restaurant. I've, I've seen a couple of those. Um, so, you know. Or today's version of that would be cryptocurrency, you know, as an example. But it's not up to me to say, don't do it. If they're calling saying, should I? That's easy to answer. If they're calling saying, I want to do this, I say, you know, all right, we'll round up the money and, uh, and we'll, you know, try and make it work for you. Now, back to the older doctors that, you know, haven't, for whatever reason, been able to accumulate the money. Right. Um, say, okay, I'm in the last, you know, five or ten years of, you know, productive practice. Yeah. Uh, and we can go back to leverage. So we'll go to the bank and say, okay, lend this doctor, based on his house or whatever, enough money to fund his lifestyle for the next five years. We set up a defined benefit pension plan because they're older and we can put away a hundred thousand a year for five years or you know longer and suddenly we can kick up their retirement portfolio by half a million or a million bucks so, so talk for talk for just a minute um what is meant by defined benefit and defined contribution uh, pension plan just so people understand the uh, the background terms here uh those those who've been around a long time remember people who work for IBM and Union Pacific and you know big companies. Right. And pension benefit was what you're going to receive was defined. Yes. So you're going to get 70% of your last three years' salary or whatever it is. It's defined. So the employer has the risk of accumulating enough money to be able to you know pay that benefit. 
And so, so what people experience, if you work as a police officer, for example, or you're in the military, you you know, you do 20 years of duty, you have a general idea as to what's coming out to your mailbox uh, every year, or at least in theory. It's, it's defined in your plan document and in your employee handbook. Correct. Uh, so that plan design, uh, you know, has gone away for the most part. Right. So uh, for, in favor of 401ks primarily. So defined contribution means we define how much money is going into the plan. Yeah. How much we have to spend at the other end is, you know, strictly a function of how your portfolio goes. So now the investment risk is the employee or you, right. uh, the employer, uh, with the uh, a lot of money. Um, the uh, works in favor of the older doctor is you 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 have to you have to have an actuary. The government requires it. And the actuary says, okay, how much do we have to put away between now and retirement age in order to pay out this promised benefit? Well, if you only have four or five years to accumulate whatever the target is, right? Uh, then you have to put away a lot more money. And the government says, uh, as an employer, you may put away that larger amount on a pre-tax basis in order to fund that benefit. So define benefit plan works in favor of the doctor uh, if, if they're older, have big income, and as long as we don't have a huge amount of rank and file. Uh, if you've got two or three doctors and you have 50 or 100 employees, uh, the requirement to fund benefit for your employees is going to wind up being more than, you know, more than 30, 40, 50% of your contribution. And in that case, uh, we have other solutions that would be more efficient. So um, we want yeah. the employee cost to be 20% or less of the pension plan to make it more efficient than just paying tax and investing. Interesting. Do you, um, I mean, it sounds like um, you put a lot of thought into how to address or how to mitigate taxation, looking at retirement. Um, do you also manage to straight liquid money in portfolios above and beyond all that? Is that part of the the roadmap? Uh, we're not, we don't pick mutual funds, stocks, bonds, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but we do, um, we have a uh, registered investment advisory. So there's, you know, the ability to uh, manage portfolios, but then that money goes to uh, the money management institutions that are authorities in making the models to uh, get the highest return for risk assumed in the portfolio. Uh, so, you know, for a younger doctor, well, in any case, risk, uh, uh, you take more risk and you have an expectation of higher return. That's why you would take risk. So if you want to make, take more risk than being in an annuity or especially designed insurance policy, um, then you want to be in really highly diversified portfolios with really low expenses uh, that are, you know, managed in a disciplined manner. So um, now if you have inside your pension plan, you're going to manage portfolios. If you are doing a captive insurance company, you have to manage portfolios inside of that. Um, insurance contracts that we use are all not variable contracts. They're not in investments per se. So 
uh, we're not managing a portfolio there per se. Um, and then the doctor often will have uh, a portfolio that's not wrapped in another structure, uh, and that could wind up in trusts or somewhere else. But uh, uh, we'll try now. Doctors, a lot of them like to, you know, mess with the market. So great, set up an account. That's your investment. And if you make it into billions, wonderful. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, that's fine because we still have your serious money in structures where uh, you'll have income for your lifestyle for the rest of your life and your spouse. What do you see as the biggest challenge for doctors over the next 10 years, just in healthcare in general, for people going in as it relates to their um, economic welfare or just managing the lifestyle that they believe they've gotten accustomed to? Because one of the things that it's not, I think to me, and, and I'm actually of two minds on this, I, I saw more and more people exiting from private practice into the safety of large healthcare institutions. and if you had asked me five years ago, I thought that was going to be a trend into the sunset. Um, but I've also seen more recently people exiting from large healthcare institutions to either go it alone, small groups, or at least single specialty practices, or maybe multi-specialty practices outside. Doctors. I'm sorry? Or concierge doctors. Yeah, or concierge doctors. So I've seen a lot of experimentation on the edges in ways to combine professional satisfaction, autonomy, still making a, a very good living without feeling as if they are a, um, you know, a hamster in, in a wheel being asked to do more with less. Um, so I don't know if we're going through another cycle now um, or whether we'll go back to some of the things we were seeing previously. I mean, certainly on a national landscape, we're seeing entities getting bigger and bigger. Even some of the single specialties are being bought out by private equity. So there's a lot of change, but I think it all comes down to... Um, right about got, that. I'm watching uh, dental practices be bought out by big entities. I've seen a couple of pain management clinic clients uh, who are bought by venture capital groups. I mean, how does that work? But, uh, you know, for my docs, that's fine. We'll, we'll take the money. But, uh, um, you know. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's a great point because I do think that for venture capital, private equity, there's a model assumption that the cash flow will continue into the future because these people are widgets. And I think it's a false assumption. I think ultimately a lot of people will say thank you very much and they just don't they probably will not be as productive as those models turn out to be. And maybe the doctor leaves some money on the table. But I, I think many of these models are potentially flawed. We kind of went through this um, 10, 15 years ago. And it looks like we're getting a renaissance of some of these models again today. Maybe they're different than they were previously. I haven't, honestly, I've not looked at them very closely. But certainly in a number of the cash pay fields, um, uh, but but even in some of the other single specialties like anesthesia, radiology, et cetera, I see a number of them getting bought out by larger and larger entities. And it's unclear that everybody in the food chain benefits from those buyouts. But um, certainly the people first in benefit that that I can uh, that I can safely say. But the ones who came in later may not be um, may not be as lucrative. Yeah. 
for my doctors, you know, just as long as the check clears, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. You want to make that are on the investment side of that. So, uh, yeah, we've seen some really interesting models come up. Uh, the trade-off for our doctors that get bought out is they no longer, since they don't control the the money, you know, from the revenue, they only get it now as a W-2. Um, they're they don't have other opportunities to put away money on a pre-tax basis. But the trade-off is uh, if I'm getting a quick, you know, two three million dollar, you know, payout, that goes a long way. It does. So we're at the end of um, our hour here. Any final words? Any words of wisdom, advice for all? And we'll we'll put in there how to find you in our show notes. Uh, final words of wisdom. No, just uh, let's be happy to to talk to you. Want to put you in a structure so you, as long as you don't lose your money, uh, you're going to get there. Doctors are in the highest, you know, the upper 1% of income earners. So it's not necessarily, it's not necessary to take risk to, uh, to win. So uh, anyway, yeah, we'd be happy to talk to them and, and help them. I think that's a great point. I mean, I still, regardless of the changing landscapes that are out there, it's still a wonderful profession to be in. And I think um, uh, on average, it probably is um, the highest uh, paid profession that's out there, uh, maybe top one or two, but it's certainly up there and it's consistent. So um, yeah, for a profession where you're doing, it's the work of your own hands. Yeah. As far as you can get. Uh, the next step then is you have to make money on the labor of others and that's doesn't work in the doctor's office. Correct. Jeff, thanks so much for sharing your pearls with us. And um, I hope that we will connect again soon. Thanks again. Thank you. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice, and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at one 877 Med Just. That's 1 877 Med Just or 633 5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N-F-O news at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.